Love the haiku. Love the sonnet. Love the quatrain and the couplet. Love the words. From East Leeds FM. You haven't seen me in a really mini skirt, have you? I am. Yeah. Yeah. Not the very mini skirt. <laughs> and she was on a motorbike. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, one of my friends from our village came in England to work and um, somehow at the place where she worked they asked if some more girls want to come uh, so she was my friend my, my sister's friend she got to, yeah she, she told us, you know, I want to come yeah, so we came here 1957 with four years contract to work in the mills with textile so we set off 3rd of June with Richie Leeds 7th of June, about two, 1 o'clock at night. And they came, took us to the hostel, and the next few days they showed around the work and what kind of jobs and this and that. Uh, I didn't expect what I saw, you know, big factory, because I never see anything like that to where I come from. Um, all those machines and so on. It was uh, a bit scary, but I was not scared in another way because I had my older sister with me and all the friends from a village. We was about one weekend was about twelve from the same village, same time. So it was nice in one way. But then I started missing my parents. My mum was special because we never went outside the door. I was very happy, first of all, to be joining my parents who I had not seen for seven years. Although they were in contact with us, you know, I had the best of both worlds. Wonderful grandparents. And my parents used to send parcels and money and my pocket money. So I had the best of both worlds. But I was equally happy to come and join my parents. My sister had come in the February and I came in the August of the same year. And then I was, you know, was like a little show off. Oh, I'm going to England to all my school friends. Oh, I'm going to England. And it was just lovely for a 14-year-old. I came in June in 1960 um, because I had two sisters over here. And uh, back home, uh, we had to have a chaperone. If you go to the cinema, we had to have a chaperone in the back of us. Go somewhere else, any feast, somebody had to come behind us. We were not allowed to speak to any boys. If you were to speak to any boys, uh, which it was me, when you go back home, it was uh, nothing about either that or a couple of cake on the backside. <laughs> <laughs> so I came in England and I said to both my parents, I said, you don't trust me in here when you got to be honest behind us, girls, not boys, girls. But I said, I'm going in England just for two or three years just to prove you that... I can look after myself. So you don't have to be behind me. I came just as I said, repeating, two or three, the most of four years. So anyway, I got the contract for four years. I came from Trinidad. I was 18 years old. I came in 1968. All I could remember is my dad putting me on a plane, BOAC they had at the moment. And I had some cousin, I had references from my cousin saying, it's lovely, England is a lovely place come and study. But I came, when I came, uh, I entered Britain in London, of course. And um, I'm, I was met by the British Council, and they were absolutely marvelous. I was so frightened, I'm thinking to myself, where the devil am I going? I'm leaving such lovely family and coming 
in a strangest land. However, <laughs> they took me to this hotel and made me some breakfast. It was early morning, and they didn't eat bacon and all these things. So I said, I refuse. I said, I'll just have some porridge. I saw this old thing where I've never, and I said, I'll eat some porridge with some honey and jam, and it was lovely. And then they said to me, you'll have to go to sleep, and then we'll take you to Yorkshire in the morning. You know, we'll put you on a train and take you to Yorkshire. I said, okay, that's fine. So I got myself out, I took my case, they helped me, they were so lovely. And I thought, what an exciting time, but I don't know, any, everybody's white looking, and I'm thinking, everybody's different colors here, and I'm the only black person here. You know, I look so odd, and I thought, this girl came out and she said, no, come on, let's take you to your room and we'll make you comfortable and we'll get your transport in the morning. And a British, somebody from the British country, brought me to Yorkshire, so I was not left on my own. As I was coming on the train, I was on a train, which I've never been on a bloody train before in all my life. So I got on this train and I'm coming up to Yorkshire and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I think I'm going to go back home. I'm going to turn back to London and go back home. But the... He was like a, you know, a gentleman. He said, no, no, he kept telling me, have some coffee. I said, I don't drink coffee. Have some tea. I said, okay, I'll have some tea. So he said, he put sugar, he bring it for me. And he made me so comfortable. I'm thinking, he's behaving like my dad. So I said, okay, I think I'm going to be warming to this gentleman. However, we got, we came to, we stopped so many places. And I'm thinking, oh, look at the scenery. It's beautiful and green, like people told me. And flowers everywhere. And I'm thinking, oh, this is really a beautiful country. And I've really made a good choice because they said we had, we had roses, we've had honey, we've had all sorts. I said, okay, I'll try, see what we've got. Anyway, when we got to Yorkshire, I thought, bloody hell, I met a matron because I was going to do nursing. And she said, and I can remember her name like anything. Her name was Hogopian. She was German. And I thought, I'm going to be in really good trouble here. You know, anyway, she said, you will start your training tomorrow morning. I said, introduce me to all the other and all the other chaps and girls and they were all white. I was the only black girl there. And I think to myself, what do I do with my hair? I had long hair. How do I comb my hair to go to do nursing? I had no hairpins, I had nothing, I had to wear a hat. And I thought to myself, Oh my god, I'm such I'm in such a mess, I'm saying to the matron, I said, You think I can go back home tomorrow? <laughs> she said, No, no. I think I think uh, Miss Ramke soon, she called me by my surname, you will have to stay here. Your father has made a contract for you and you've got, you've got enough GCs, you've got enough, you've got through the British Council, you can do your nursing. So I said, but I came to do law. She, she said to me, well, you can decide what you want to do later on. Anyway, as we went on, she got so nice to me because I was frightened of her, very scared of this blonde lady. I've never seen a blonde lady in my life. And she said to me, you will be fine. Tomorrow morning, we'll sort you out. And I thought, she's going to sort me. What is she going to do to me? Anyway, she said, you're going to meet these, these girls and these boys, and you all introduce yourself, and you all go and sit and have a good chat, and tomorrow we all have to start studying. So I was, I was okay. I did love the country, but I didn't like the cold, because I was thinking to myself, I didn't bring enough knickers to keep me warm. Because when I came in England, I didn't expect... It would be so cold in the winter time. I loved the summer, but not the winds because we have, we have seen a bit of snow back home. But on the same day, it come and gone. But in here, when it came in the sixties and seventies, it was a lot, lot of snow, as we know, snow and ice, snow and ice, and fog. That was which we never, never see the fogs back home, never. But when I, that really scared me, the fog. The snow was bad, but the fog was terrible. That it really, it put me off. And the first Christmas, it was so lovely. We went to church, midnight mass in Pudsey. Coming back home, all the girls, not you. No. And we were singing in Italian. You know, this beautiful, and the, the, the sister came with those, you know, the, oh, yes. yeah. Right. And he was singing, and, and everybody opened the door, come in, come in. They would give us uh, orange juice, uh, oranges, uh, apples, all that. They liked horse singing in Italian. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. 
and the sister, she couldn't stop laughing, say how nice it is for this girl. We enjoyed every minute of it that first Christmas. Then it started to come snow. <gasps> the snow, my God, was that big. We couldn't, we were laughing, so we never see snow, it was just a bit, you know, we were so the snow is playing outside like a children throwing the snow at each other. The sisters, no, 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 no good, no good. We loved it. <laughs> When I first came to England, I was still a schoolgirl, and we lived in Birmingham, and my mother worked at the Selly Oak Hospital as a nurse, and Dad used to work in the factory. Uh, one of the questions I got asked at school was, where in Africa is Jamaica? And I thought, what do they teach these children in England? But I'd soon settle in, because without blowing my own trumpet, I was a, little, a bright little girl. I think it was just because everyone just kept going about England, you know, this great place, like in the Caribbean now, people go on about America. And you get there and you see these, some of the grotty buildings. But some places, because mom used to take us out, as you travelled around, you know, you saw some of the nicer. Because Birmingham was one of the inner cities. when we came, we couldn't find no pasta, we couldn't find oil, we couldn't find nothing as Italian. So in Chapitan Road, they opened an Italian shop there. And slowly, you know, we start to find some Italian food and so on. But you miss your home for three or four years. You never settle in this country. Yeah. The most rich country, you know, you, you, especially also girls, because we've never been away from home. Uh, special uh, on a special occasion like Christmas, Easter, uh, August, you know, special feast. That's when you was feel a bit sorry for mm-hmm. ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. weeping a bit, and you know, that's obviously we miss the the friend, we miss the parents. No matter how much you argue with the parents when you're there, mm-hmm. but when mm-hmm. you're away, you miss them so much. Uh, but once you get married, obviously. A life change, and you know, say, oh yes, I miss home, I miss my parents, but now I'm married, I've got my fa- my own family, so you start to get back, yeah. you know, away from thinking, oh, I want to go back home, my home is here now. And I just don't know, you know, that when I, when we came that that year, nineteen fifty-seven, mm. I don't know what, what's happened that time. I was feeling happy in one way, and then I felt so sorry to leave home. My, my mother, she said always, you'll be all right. She was calling me pagliaccio, means, you know, clown. 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 You'll be okay, you'll be okay. She said. Anyway, when I came, we didn't like that bread, yeah, yeah. sliced bread. So I said, all right, what thing I can do? I wrote to my mom, send some yeast. Yes. She sent yeast, and we started to make our own bread. Yeah. That's it. And that's I used the, to make a mind too. Every weekend, yeah. I used to bring a bit. Because she got married, she lived in, in, in Leeds, behind the blind school. I used to. Live so there. when I used to make the bread, every weekend almost, I used to bring a nice little loaf of bread for a nice and fresh. Uh, when first they start to make the bread, the matron, she was absolutely horrible. She says, you got to stop making bread. But anyway, somebody said something to the office. They said, the girls, they don't like English bread, sliced bread at them Sorry. days. So they said they start to make their own bread. But the matron, she's against it. So anyway, they, they got, she got the message to the sister to say, let the girls make their own bread. At least we know they're here and they're happy and they keep themselves more uh, occupied so they don't miss too much at home because they start to make their own food 
and that's how we began to make our bread. And everybody was happy with that. But when I came in the August, it was not too cold. But then I got the culture shock when the winter came. And the food that's uh, available now, there was no Caribbean food. So all the nice mangoes and sugarcane and guineps and all the things that we had in the Caribbean, you know, there was not available. And I thought, oh, I want to go back home. It's cold and I'm hungry. Mm -hmm. Mom used to buy the grapes and make apple pies and we survive on rice and corned beef. And she said, well, can't send you back home now. Then she was working at Selly Oak Hospital earning £48 per month. So Mm -hmm. I just got on with it. I fitted into school very nicely. The teachers was, oh, you're from the Caribbean and you're so intelligent, you know. And I'm thinking, well, what do you expect? Che li preso tu braccia camicetta fiore blu Vuoi fa signore nella nanza scuola pure tu Te piglia sigaretta quando accadde per papà Te miette già un rossetto come vede fa mamma Just twice I went to the Mecca But them days, up past ten, the buses was top And there was no taxi like in our days So we had to run to make sure we would get to the last bus Otherwise, the door would be locked because we was in a hostel. And the sister, she was very strict, you know, matron. We was called a sister. She was very strict. You had to be home here at past ten. Otherwise, you sleep in the park because we the, the hostel was it was nice. It was surrounded by the factories, but we had a nice park in front of us. So to make sure, and then at the same time, I think it was not just me. Most of the girls. We was always looking behind us, just if any boys, they would come and they would do something to us, you know. Because of a bit, any, any girls put themselves in a family way, forget to go back home, because they would not accept a daughter or cousin or sister as a baby or as petting the baby. There was not, not, not that kind of things. Them days. Now, maybe they, maybe they have changed. But them days, as my sisters, I'd rather throw myself into the sea rather than go back home. So we had to always look and never go out one girl. We was always two or three girls together to be safe. I met my husband. He was, he's Hungarian and he was come from Hungary. And uh, we met just a week after the St. Valentine's Day. And then in three months we got married. We got married just a month before a year I was here. We got married. And that's it. There we are, 58 years married. And I appreciate every bit of it now. But we ne- I never came here for stay all this my life. So go here, go in England. For for years, contract, finish contract, and go back home. Because there was quite a few boys after me. I was, you know, twenty year old. But the, the, when they're coming here, you know, they was out of bed. He couldn't. Parents were allowed at day. But when I went the back first time after four years, I was already married with a little child. And it was uh, the feast of our village. A lot of people gathering. And this, so this boy, so one of them said, "Hey, Ursula, can I come and talk to your dad?" I says, about what? You know, to go out together. I said, I'm sorry, I'm married. You're not. I said, yes, I am married. I said, that's my little girl. That's my husband. Oh, they go hard broke. I said, that's it. Oh, when I was, um, I was about five years old, when I was about five years old, I remember going to school and um, my father used to always say to me, make sure you're in time. And we used to have, we had a farm, in, we had a farm anyway. We had cows and goats and chickens and yes, and this is in Trinidad. 
we were well off. I mean, my dad was a well off man because um, he worked for the oil field and he mixed with a lot of um, foreign people, mainly people from America. All the American people used to come because we had Shagarama base. They, you know, when they had the wartime, they had, they had to come and reside in our own country. And this is a part of Port of Spain. They call it Shagaramas. And these people were very friendly with us, you know, and they used to come on the evening, and the gentlemen and the ladies, they bring the wife, and they were very nice. And I grew up with a nice family because my father was very strict. My mother was very strict, but my mother was very placid. My father was the beast. I would call him the beast because whatever he said goes, because he had six girl children. And when you have six girl children, and you have lots of gorgeous boys running around. When you get to about 14, 15, you start college. I started college about 16 years old because I, I went to Thomas Aquinas College. I got my certificates and everything, and I, I always wanted to either be a nurse or a lawyer. Obviously, there was a lot of law in the family, and we could have afforded it, you know. from a small village called Bellona. Uh, come from a big family, three sisters and five brothers. It was very hard, but a nice, homely, you know, parents was around for everything. So when I started school, I managed to do three years of school. Uh, to be a big family, because at the same time, we had a shop and some farm. So my mother, she could not manage to work in the shop, uh, cook and wash for a family of 10. So I was about 11, and my, my father says, Michalina, I'm sorry we got to leave school. I cried my I book it. I was doing so well at school and so on. I said, but why? He said, because you're the youngest, and you're very capable to work in the shop so you work in a shop while your two sisters you got to work in a farm, either for us or for other people. So I was working in a shop at nine, 11 years of age. I was very, very bitter about it. Until today, I'm still, you know. It was imposed on me. I had like seat, I wanted to study. It was a very, very clever school. And the teacher came <laughs> to my father because uh, he was home, otherwise he wouldn't have been home, he would have been working abroad. Uh, 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 yeah, they say saying yes, well, the government, if no. somebody's well off at school, the government gives you so much money to proceed to school to get further. There was a grant, basically, for, grant. for clever children. Yeah. And my father ended up shouting at the teacher. He said, no, she's a girl. She doesn't need to yeah. study because she'll, she'll be having her own family and the husband will keep her. And my, my world finished there because I knew once my father had made his mind up, there was no going back. them days... Them days, it's like the boys... Mm-hmm. They got to provide, they got to go to school and provide for the wife and for the family. It, it sounds the same what you just said about boys and girls, because us being six sisters, six girls and four boys, the boys had more privilege because fathers all think that the boys will bring something better to the family, you know, whereas the girls will get... When I was... Um, Ready. I already got my papers, and my father came from work one day, and he said to me, he said, I've, got, I've seen a lovely young man, he works with me, he got a good job, and he would like to, I would like to marry you to him. I said, Dad, over my dead body, I said, you marrying me at six, 17 years old, 
I'm going to England. So he said to me, where did you get that idea? I said, you've already, no, I don't want to stay here. I want to go abroad. He said, he said, this boy is very nice. He will look after you. He's very well off. I said, he has a lovely car. I said, I don't care what he's got. I've got my papers. I've got my passport because my uncle was a judge. Uh, that's my father brother. And what I said to my uncle, I said, without dad knowing, get all these papers done for me quickly. Come with me. We go to Port of Spain. That's the head office. And we go to the Red White House and everything done. And I came home and I said to my dad, I am not. He brought, she, I remember he bring this guy home from work. They came together and he said to me, oh, there's a chap wants to have a word with you. I said, me? I said, anyway, first of all, I don't like him. He's too black. He's not, he's not tall enough and I don't like him. Take him out. So I get him out. Anyway, my dad said, you haven't seen, it's not his color. He's got a good job. He's got family. I said, I don't care, dad. And I didn't say it like that. And I walk away, and my dad said to, him, to me, I am not buying you a plane ticket. I don't know how you're going to go. But I used to work part-time for a cosmetic firm <laughs> as well. And I used to go to work at 9 o'clock in the morning and finish at 12 to go to my classes. And um, I used to sell, like, lipstick and perfume and all these things. You know? And I used to save my money. And I saved my money, and I said to Dad, I've got enough money to buy a plane ticket. And you know? he said... Don't worry, daughter, you will go to England. I know you want to go to England. I'll send you to England. And that was it. And that's what my husband always said to me. He always puts that to me. He said, Sita, he said, you know what your, your dad said to you? It was a right thing he said to you. You were too naughty. He said, you give, you, you give you a BOSC ticket, a one-way ticket, so that I could marry you. <laughs> I don't know how I can describe. When my father was a musician... Them days when somebody was dying in a village, they always called the band to take the body to the cemetery. One week, nobody died. And my mother, she could not do the shopping cash. She had to get shopping on credit. So she knew the lady from the shop. She asked, she says, the lady says, so don't worry, she says, I understand, you know, blah, blah. My mother, she prays, she says, please, God, she says, but don't get me wrong, God. Brian, please take some old people. Because this week, as you know, I was doing shopping on the credit. She says, I don't want to do it again. So the week after, two people died. So and my father's been called both times. But one of them, it was a very, very rich family. So whoever went, you know, after the body, <coughs> they all got paid. So my father got paid twice on, for the same funeral. One because he was a musician, and one because he was taking the body to the... So that particular week, my mother, she could do shopping, pay the cash the week before, did shopping on that week, and to put a bit of money away. She says, just a fingers in future, nobody will die. So I got a bit of money away mm-hmm. to pay my... And that, that is true... <laughs> A lot of beans, um, cannellini, we used to grow our own. But then, obviously, if there was some surplus, you could sell some. If not, you would keep for all year round. And then one night you do just beans, another night you do you know, dandelions. Um, not grown, grown wild, you know, but growing in your own land, but there's not much pollution, and we used to get them. Or the greens, which I didn't even know the name of it, and that was wonderful. And of course, pasta, rice, pasta with the beans, rice with the beans. My grandma cooked what she liked, and my favourite dish was stewed pork with tomato sauce. I loved that. As soon as I used to come from school, that's the dish my grandma would 
was serving me with. He used to say to us, you know, I think it's time you all, you went to college and it's time you learn to cook. Go and learn to cook. Let your mom show you how to make a good West Indian dish on India. So we used to make nice, he used to show us. My dad used to cook. He was a lovely cook because he used to bring some big salmon and bring turkey. And we never seen turkey in our life because we don't, we have chicken, but we didn't have turkey. And these Americans used to bring it for us. <coughs> and my dad used to know how to stuff it and how to cook it and how to put it in the oven. But we didn't have an oven. You want to know how we cook our turkey? We had a fireside, like they do the log fire. And he made, he had a piece, he had like a pot. And he made holes, he, because he, of course he was an Indian. He put holes on top and he put a piece of galvanized and he put the turkey, then wrap it. And that would roast lovely on the fire, on a steak. And that's how we cook. And we call that, we call that a fireside at home. And we could put two pots and cook on it. Although we had stove, that was the best way to cook. I think as we get old, we start to appreciate more and more what we did in the past. Uh, obviously, at the time, we didn't realise the parents, they were so so strict, so don't do this, don't do that. But as we get old, we are parents, we are grandparents, and we we got to know why the parents, especially them days, it was very, very hard. They had to be a little bit strict to, to preserve the honour, because if any girls, especially them days, they would put themselves in a family where they rather to kill that girl, but not to, you know, to put the, the shame on their face. So we had to walk on the edge of the knife. And I think now I know why, because nowadays they take everything for granted. In here, same everywhere else. Easy come and easy go. But them days, if a girl lose that, the best part of her body, virginity, she's not pure anymore. So no any other boy will marry her. My childhood was idyllic. We lived on the foot of the hill where my father broke the rock to build his own house. He was an exceptional man. But I loved my dad. It's, he was such a just man. He, he never judged anyone. And he had, he resented a lot of things in his life. And he really, he told me once that you never marry some, someone rich than you are because forever they think it'll be superior to you. And that's why I liked my husband because my husband didn't have anything. <laughs> When my husband came to Italy, I was 16, I met him, and my auntie asked me to look after him. So I didn't think about him at all. I couldn't speak or anything. When he came back for the second time around, I began to see him. I loved his gentle ways, and I loved his hands. <laughs> and he always had a shirt folded up his, his elbow. I thought, it's still lovely, and he always smoked, and they tried to hide a cigarette because my father told him that he shouldn't smoke so much. And it used to come to dinner every other night. I was totally ignorant about boys, to be honest. And when he asked me to marry him, my father must have known because uh, if you bring me, because it's, I suppose a father will know. As I said to him, if you come back to, to Italy after we've been to England to see your mom, I'll marry you because I want to stay here. This is my life. And when I got married, priority for me is to buy my own house. Because I said, I don't want to pay, pay. And I can never say this is my house. Rather than pay for somebody else, the rent, I'll pay my own mortgage. And I worked very, very hard to achieve what I want to achieve. But somebody said to me one day, says, how come all the foreigner people... Most of them are trolled by a house. They can't afford to buy a house. I turn around and says, I call them sons. I don't want to use the words because he was being a nasty man. I says, my house and the and work, that's all journey I know. I don't afford green. 
I don't, need, don't know any other pub which I'm going to waste my money. <coughs> I bought my house because I want to keep my children under the roof, the one which I buy it. That's why we can afford to buy a house because we're not going to waste our money in public house. I think as I'm, I am getting, as I get older, as I age, I find I appreciate my parents so much better because I see that the sacrifice they did for us to make sure we were well educated, we were all fed well, and we were all looked after well. And in life, you prosper because you make your own, you make your, as you say, you make your own journey through life. I think it's education as well. And the amount of education, my, fa- my father was a great believer in education. He think if a child is well educated, he always said, you may not have food, you may not have, but if you have your education, you can always persevere in life. You can get a job anywhere in the world and you know, nobody can ever take that away from your brain. Because once your brain is that's it. Lascia che ho viva un amore romantico nell'attesa che venga quel giorno, ma ora no, non ho l'età, non ho l'età. Certificate of registration. You must produce the certificate if required to do so by any police office or immigration office. It's a passport which I got from the police station. And we had to go and and sign once a month for six months. Mm. After that, they went a bit less. Then I think after one, one year, they stopped but we had to carry this with us. That's like ID. I had to refrain because one day my son came home from school crying. He says, Mom, he says, you because know, I asked him, what are you crying for? He says, I've been told you are an illegal immigrant. I looked at him, I says, hold on. I went up the stairs, I found my uh, little piece of paper. I says, yeah, read this. At the time, I couldn't read English, but I know now. La, 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 la. I said, oh, Mom, he says, uh, now I know you're okay. Nobody can send you back home. I said, they only can send me back home if I murder somebody. Then they send me back home. Otherwise, as long as I be myself, I'm okay. But I said, when I came in England, I'm not British, I'm not English. I go in England and I respected the Queen and I respected the country and I've been doing ever since. <laughs> The gypsy woman told my mother Before I was born I got a boy charge coming He's gonna be a son of a gun He's gonna make pretty women's Jump and shout Then the world wanna know What this all about But you know I'm here but the place that gave us the culture shock was going to the churches. I was brought up in the Anglican church and my grandmother said, continue church. And we were very, very, un- the Caribbean people were very unwelcome in the Caribbean churches, in the Anglican churches. So some stopped going and some started going to other churches or but then it was the time of the racism with the teddy boys and the, uh, and the racism at that time was very blatant. And Enoch Powell used to preach his river of blood speech. And one of the saying, which I'm sure you would have heard, yeah. no blacks, no Irish, no dogs, if you went to get an accommodation. So most people, the banks wouldn't lend you any money. They were racist as well. I mean, work was easily readily available. I was still at school. Uh, mom and dad worked and they saved and bought a house. 
And uh, that part of it was very horrific, horrific for most Caribbean people who we speak to. Uh, well, not just the Caribbean people, I think, for the immigrants, or immigrants on a whole. Well, there was not that bad with those, actually. There was Carlos Aitai. I'll never forget that. They used to call us spaghetti fish. Spaghetti. If you were talking about spaghetti, they used to go, they didn't like spaghetti, but now they're carving off and have spaghetti. Um, but like I said, there was no bad widows, were there? No, there, there was, was no very bad good, at all. Very good widows. But like I said, we worked very hard. Don't you mess with me, but you know, yeah. They put me on a machine, and some English ladies said, Bloody hell, bloody hell, a foreign girl goes on a machine, and they said, We're here all these years just going on packing. So the lady hand, she said, Yeah, because you're bloody stupid. Just right, because you're stupid, because she's foreign and she knows how to fill up the machine with the tubes. You don't even know how to pack in the tubes, toothpaste, and all that. That's why she's clever. That's why she's there. That's it. Says, why? Why she can't do this again? Because she's clever. And then says, they go to their own house and this and that. She says, yeah, because yeah. you know there was there was only one thing that they said. They go to their own houses. Yeah, you've been born and bred in this country. You're still in a corporation house. They only here a few years. They go to their own house. They work for it. They're not going on holiday in Blackpool every every year and this and that. So they looked for house. Home for the for for family and for everything. I said my my husband said so long we go roof above our head. That's what we want. We worked. You work very hard to keep your your home, and that's it. Um, I didn't have any hostility because I lived in the nurses' home. You know there was lots of um, there was a few more West Indian girls who some people come from different countries, part of the West Indies. But it was not my clan, you know what I mean. Then we got used to each other. I mixed with the white girls a lot because they were I could understand them and they could, you know, because the the beige and the Jamaican they all had a different kind of accent and I didn't understand them as well as, you know, I would have liked to. And I got on with the English girl very well, but I find the hostility when I finish when I did my training and when I was going to different wards. You know, when you go to different ward to do different part of your nursing, because you had to do doing gen- the general nursing. And um, some of the sisters, ward sisters, because, of course, I was only a trainee nursing. was going to, I'm a do- doing my staff nurse. And um, they used to find that they give you the most menial tasks to do, because they think, probably because your hand is black, you might do the dirty job first, you know, that kind of thing. But it didn't worry me, because I got on. And then I, I remembered when it was time for meal, I didn't like the canteen at all because I didn't like the meal. I used, to, <laughs> I used to cry because I miss my home so much. I didn't like the food. I had to cry because I was a vegetarian. And they used to tease me, they said, you're so skinny, you're going to fall in the snow, you know, sort of, because I was like this. But I, I only find hostility at mealtime because I didn't eat pork or beef or nothing, you know. And they used to write on the board, like this, give this black bitch some food. But that's the only hostility. I never felt any other. It's past now, see and um, I carried on, you know, and I got friendly with some of the white girls. And they said, don't worry about those stupid boys. We'll sort them out. You know, I don't know whether they were, the boys was getting at me because I wasn't eating what they were eating. But then the hostility got lesser and lesser because I got braver. I got brave. I had a bit of stamina. I started telling them, you bloody bastard, don't talk to me like that. You know, I got rude. I got rude like the British people and I mixed with them. The more I mixed with them, the more I become like them. And because, because I was of a different clan and I was well brought up, you see, I never swear. And then when they called me the language, I thought, no, I'm not going to put up with it. So I got, I got where I wanted to do. And then when I graduated, I thought to myself, 
I will show you white people what what color I am really, what what is really my color. And when I became a, when I graduated and I got a post, a high post, and when I started bossing them around, you do this, you do that, they didn't like it. They didn't like it because I, I was an authority. And then when I started working, I, thought, I told my dad, you know, dad, I'm happy now. He says, I know you are a fighter, he says, and you're intelligent. You'll get through. Many times I wanted to pack my bag and go home. So, okay, we moved to Leeds. And I said I would like to go into nursing. But I'd always been interested in sort of psychiatric nursing. I think to see people, you know, the different way that people sort of, uh, yeah. the phobias and, because I had a very inquisitive mind. So I went, I applied to St. James's Hospital. And uh, I didn't do the general nursing, I did RMN. Mm-hmm. But in that three years time, I had to do three months on the general ward and three months in geriatrics mm-hmm. and then I qualified in RMN at St. James's Hospital in the Round Day Wing. Mm-hmm. I find some of the white nurses, not all of them, some of them were very, very kind and on the other hand some was very, very unkind. Mm-hmm. They thought the black nurses were stupid and then exactly. when we proved them wrong. Mm-hmm. But then there was a lot of, we used to call it the United Nations where I worked because <laughs> there were people from Trinidad, Jamaica, Barbados, uh, Mauritius, Africa, Ireland. And, you know, most of us got on well. But what I found very upsetting was you went to look after her, because we gave very good care. And one nurse patient said, Get your black hands off me, you bloody bastard. And I felt it really... It was really upsetting. And then another gentleman, I was looking after him. And he says, I'm not getting dressed this morning. Get your blackens off me. And then he said, if it was the time when I was in Africa, I would have had the likes of you shot. Oh, well, I will tell you something about that, that instance. Really because I was in charge of the ward, and I had a gentleman. He was a diabetic. He was an insulin diabetic. And I was, the, I was in charge of sister of the ward. And this gentleman had nobody else to give him his IV, which I had to do. And I went to give him, and he said to me, the, I said to one of the students, come on, assist you as you're giving it. I have to watch her, you know, because course, yeah. she's training. And he said to me, I'm not having you, me, put in, I'm in charge all day of the ward, and I'm not having you, black bastard, putting your hand on me. So I rang my manager, because I had a man in her jail. Her name was Joan Brazil. I can remember it like today. I said, Joan, we were like this. We very get on very well. I said, Joan, I cannot give this son to gentleman his medication, his antibiotic, because he wouldn't have it of me, because he calls me, I'm a black bat. So she came down, in such a bad temper she came down, and she said to this gentleman, if if Sita, she called me Sita, she said, if Sita does not give you this IV, you're going to die. You want to die? Or you want her to put a black hand on you? And she was so accommodating. She made me feel like I'm in heaven when she said that to me because she made me feel good. And when the relative of his came, said, oh, she gave me. It's her who gave me the injection today. And the, the gentleman came to me. He said, thank you, Sita. That was the gentleman father. He came and said thank you to me. So you see, you get two sides of stories with, with one person. One person can give you two sides of a story. And sometimes it's a good side and it's a bad side. But I took it with a pinch of salt because I, I'm broad-minded. I thought to myself, I'm here. I'm here to stay and I'm not going anywhere. And no one is letting me go. And if my father sent me here to study... I'm here to stay, and you either like it or you bloody lump it. And that's me. You know you make me wanna show, kick my heels up and show, throw my hands up and show, throw my head back and show, come on now, don't forget to say you will. Don't forget to say yeah, 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 yeah. Um, a happy time when I came in England, 
when we finished work at night time, we had so much fun in the hostel. And I mean, a fun. With any girls, we used to play wrestling, we used to watch television, we used to dancing, we used to singing. That was my best time. The happiest time was um, after we'd been married, we had the children. The children was, you know, three years, four years. And we used to go to the Polish club in Chapel Alton. And every Saturday night we used to go there, the majority, and Sunday, possibly. And we used to go dancing there, and it was really nice. People was very nice. Meet all the different people and used to dancing. But the happiest time was mine, uh, when it was my uh, 25th year's anniversary. My mum and dad came from Italy to celebrate and the rest of my family. That was the best time I ever remember. Because when I got married, my mum and dad couldn't come. Uh, but they came at that time, and it was really, really nice. Vado distrattamente abbandonato L'occhio sotto cappiella nascondo But then we used to have, as I said, four or five girls, we was full of life. We used to play, we used to dancing, singing, play wrestling, that kind of thing. I enjoyed it. Then I got married, I got kids, and marriage was not a success. Got divorced, and um, the rest is history. That's <laughs> then I got married again. Uh, now, this February coming, it's 40 years, I know, my second husband. He's good. He commands of his own. But he don't keep me short of anything. I am a boss with everything. He's happy to be on his own in the garden. Gardening is, is, is treasure. It's everything for him. This time of the year has been boring. <sighs> I fed up. <laughs> I'm fed up. We are all fed up this time of the year. Luna rosa, I, I love England, I mean, because I met my husband in England, and my husband is a different person. The, the day I met him, he said to me, I don't come from a very rich family, you know, you shouldn't be getting involved with me. I said, he said, if I remember those were the words he said, he said, if I live under a a banana tree, will you stay under there? I said, certainly will, because I'm in love with you. <laughs> so that's, so that's you know, my husband. He, he's lovely, you know. I married him 40, 45 years, and we've been together. If I didn't like him, I already kicked him to out the door. <laughs> but, I mean, he's lovely, man. He, I'm the, he always said to me, you are, you are too bossy, which I know I am sometimes. Like, she laugh, my friend laughs about, about me all the time because... I said, oh, it doesn't really matter. Get on with it, you know, because I'll do what I have to do anyway. I'm a very independent person. I always was grateful for everything, and I was brought up by a grandmother, Jewish grandma and a Catholic grandmother, <laughs> with two different opinions. But I never felt short of love. There was love everywhere. <clears throat> and I was happy. I loved the mountain. Still today, when I go back to Italy, the first thing I do is go for a walk on the mountain. I even been on the mountain at five o'clock in the morning and see the sunrise. Mm. It comes from between two mountains, which they go like this, and the first ray on your face is wonderful. But England has got the most beautiful grass, you know, the, the little mountains, uh, the, the little hills full of green grass. Mm. This it takes my breath away. It was my birthday three years ago, and I said to my grandchildren... It's my birthday today. Can you give me a treat? I want to reach the mountain on the very top. I said, but Grandma, there is a farmer there who has a shotgun. We're not supposed to walk there. I said, come on, we'll be all right. Thinking they were kidding me because they didn't want to walk up the mountain. It was true, though. My daughter said, you're taking a risk. <laughs> and plus there were cows and sheep. But they took me up there, and I, was, I felt privileged that they wanted to take me.
Yeah, the church for us is very important. We've been grown up that way. Um, our father says, well, you can work six days a week, but Sunday, the first thing, you get up, do the sign of the cross, put your best clothes on, and go to church. That was, so we've been grown up that way, and uh, if there's any chance I cannot make it on a Sunday to come to the church, I feel a bit, I feel down, I feel I let myself down, I feel not happy, because I keep thinking, well, I've got time to do everything, why I've got no time to go spend an hour in the church? Because uh, I believe the church is belong to God, and I got my house, you got yours, but the church belongs to God, and for us to come to the church is the best place for us, you know, to come and pray. It's a peace of mind. It's it's what you believe in, and how you believe in other people, and it, it, how they wel- you welcome into the church, not by people, by God, yeah. and that's how you feel, and I feel happy to go to church because I've always been to church and the way I come where I've come from people have always been welcoming and Mm -hmm. it's also the same here but it's also peace of mind for you if you've had a bad day or you think oh you know why did I dream that or why did this happen or why is something not good I mean not every day is perfect you might have a, a, a bad day and you think oh I'm going to church tomorrow I'll be I'll be okay It's good in one way, but it's a bit hard. Um, sometimes, to be not English, you, some people come through and this and that, and you don't understand them, but you get a bit panicking. But my children say, Mom, don't worry, just, you know, give us a ring and we come and sort it out for you. But they're not there straight away. And, you know, I feel, oh, that people might be need to sort it out. That's a little bit worries me. But apart from that... It's, it's okay, but the kids, they're very, very good, they're very helpful. Yeah, we have no problem about that. I have regrets, but because I know it's been done for me by somebody else, like my, my parents, I'm trying to make up to it now, because you didn't want to be out to do something immoral. You wanted to be out to have fun with your friends. And now I've had lots of friends just for that reason. I'm catching up. I want to catch... To get what I was forced to miss. This is my time to be happy. Yeah. I really do everything. Like I'm going to see my daughter in Bath next week, the week after, after the 22nd. And I'm excited. <laughs> well, um, I'm still 100% Italian because I still got my passport, Italian passport. I said, well, either Italian or English... Deeper down, down, I still feel I am Italian. But if anybody asks me which one to choose, obviously I choose England. Because my children are here, my grandchildren are here, my great-grandchildren are here. I said, well, if if I would take a British nationality, nationality, lots of people say, you still are bloody foreign. Oh, yeah, it's true. Yeah, uh, the same you know, unless, <clears throat> unless I would put it on, you know, on forehead, I am a British. I'm not Italian anymore. But I said, you know what, end of the day, it doesn't matter which one. I'm happy in here and forget about it today, but I'm happy in here, in Yorkshire. And whenever we go somewhere to coming back, the first time that I say, I see Leet. Oh, Leet. Oh, that my. <laughs> I'm so happy to, to say Leet. Well, I've been, I've been in Leet since 1960. We have not been anywhere. We spent four and a half years in Stanningley, got married, moved in Leet, and I've been here ever since. Bosley South, where I am in 1965. And I've been there ever since. And I'm happy there. Get your troubles and just get happy You better chase all your cares away Sing hallelujah, come on, get happy 
get ready for the judgment day. The sun is shining. It's all so peaceful on the other side. Forget your troubles and just get happy. You better chase all your cares away. Shout hallelujah, come on, get happy. Get ready for the judgment day.